Well, as, as Pastor said, um, this, uh, the blogs that have been up this past week have been uh, really amazing. There's been a lot of great stuff that people have been putting up. And uh, the heart of, of this past week has really been uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, 6, and 7. And it's what we commonly know as uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so I'm going to be doing the message this morning uh, covering the, the Sermon on the Mount, these uh, three chapters, 111 verses. So uh, I hope you guys didn't have plans for lunch. We're going to be here for a while. Um, but if you want to open up your Bibles to that, chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, I want to first just open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Lord, we just thank you just for the, the amazing stuff that you gave us in this, this sermon, in this message, in these three chapters. Um, we ask, Lord, that you just help us just to see what, what you were trying to convey to the people back then, how that was good news for them, and how that is still good news for us today. And so we ask that you just help us just to set aside the trials and challenges of this past week and help us to tune in to what you would have to say to us personally. And we just pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, and we all say, Amen. And also, um, throughout this week, there's been a bunch of different entries with the blogs, and so you're going to see sprinkled throughout this message this morning uh, a lot of those different entries from people, some quotes from all the different people. And so if you had uh, uh, an entry in the blog this past week, please uh, zero in because you're going to be highlighted at some point. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the most majestic pieces of literature ever recorded. It is very simple and at the same time very complex. It is a series of individual teachings as well as groups of teachings. It has amazing sections such as the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer, and the Golden Rule. It also has powerful one-liners such as seek first the kingdom of heaven and then all these things will be given to you. And as we look at this, it can be challenging to, to try to grasp what is all going on since there is so many different things. It, it's easy to kind of uh, zero in into each individual uh, teaching, each individual law, each individual uh, moral code that Jesus is putting out there. But today, we are going to look at it in a little bit more simpler form. We're going to look at it simply as this, this sermon. It is called a Sermon on the Mount because it was truly a sermon. It wasn't just a bunch of uh, loose laws thrown together. It was a sermon as Jesus preached it. And so this morning we're going to look at it as a sermon where the preacher Jesus is proclaiming a few powerful points. And back then this was a, procl a proclamational message. And so I'm going to be doing it as a proclamational approach as well. And so our, there are several proclamations that Jesus is getting across Throughout the whole sermon, the first proclamation is contrary to the religious system of the day, the gospel is for everybody. Contrary to the religious system of the day, the gospel is for everybody. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 19 covers a few different topics, but the most significant one that Jesus uh, uh, covers is what we refer to as the Beatitudes. In that section, Jesus pronounces blessings on nine different types of people. And as the audience was listening to this, as they heard these different blessings that Jesus pronounced, they got that it was good news. It automatically came across as good news to them. And the reason why it was good news to them is because they immediately saw that Jesus was saying that the gospel is available to everybody. 
they immediately saw that the gospel was available to everybody. And that was good news to them. The reason why it was good news is because it stood in contrast to what the Pharisees were pushing. The Pharisees were saying that, that no, that, that God's blessings is, does not go out to everybody. There's a limit to who God blesses. And if you want to be able to receive God's blessings, then, then you got to be like us. And so the Pharisees were of this mentality that, that we are rich, and that proves that God is with us. And yet Jesus said, blessed are the poor. The Pharisees were saying that, 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 uh, that things are always going our way. We have no sorrows. We have no challenges. And that proves that God is with us. And yet J- Jesus said that, that blessed are, are the go- those who go through trials. And Jesus also said that blessed are those who seek after righteousness because the Pharisees had the mentality that we don't have to seek after righteousness because we are righteous. This was their mentality. This was the the arrogance of the way they looked at God. This was the arrogance of how they they put across what it looked like to come to God. And the implications came across that if you're not like us, if you're not like the Pharisees, then you don't got God. And Jesus was coming across saying, no, that's not what it's about. It's not about all these things that, that you guys try to put across. Blessed are all these other people that you try to say God doesn't come to. Jesus was trying to get across that the gospel is available to everybody. There is nobody that the gospel cannot reach. There is nobody that is not worthy of receiving the gospel. And can we all say amen to that? Now then, I kind of trapped you there. That's an easy statement to amen. But as we amen it, what does it mean for us today? As we amen that statement, how do we apply that today? As we amen that statement, how does it have to keep us in check? Because it's easy for us to slip into the mentality of being modern-day Pharisees. We can easily start doing the same thing that the Pharisees did back then. We can easily limit who we say the gospel is, 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 uh, can be given to. We can easily limit who we are willing to take the gospel to. Do we say the gospel is for everybody unless you're a homosexual? The gospel is for everybody unless you're a deadbeat dad. The gospel is for everybody unless you're a drug dealer or a sex dealer, a murderer or a molester, a masochist, a sadist, or a terrorist. The gospel is for everybody unless you're one of these people that I don't consider worthy of the gospel. Do we say that the gospel is for everybody unless you're on my no-fly list? We have to be careful of that because that is exactly what the Pharisees did back then. That is why I love the quote earlier this week from the blog that was posted by Kirk Hessler, where he said that we can all be people of influence with the message of hope. That is what the gospel is. The gospel is a message of hope for people who feel like they have no hope. The gospel is a message of hope for people who feel like all of society has turned their backs against them. The gospel is a message of hope for all of those who feel like nobody cares about them anymore. This is who the gospel was meant for. We must remember that there is no one beyond God's redemption. There is no one beyond God's reach. Because I know that there are a lot of us, and especially myself, who were once on somebody's no-fly list. And so we have to remember that the gospel is meant to be taken to everybody around us. Proclamation number two that Jesus was making is contrary to the religious system of the day, the gospel is about your heart not your actions. Contrary to the religious system of the day, the gospel is about your heart, not your actions. 
Jesus st- starts off in Matthew 5:20 through 48, and he says there, and he challenges them there, and saying that that you have to have a, a righteousness that surpasses the Pharisees. And what he's really saying there is that you have to have a righteousness that is different than the Pharisees. He goes on to give several examples of the teachings that the Pharisees were always pushing. And he shows them how the teachings of the Pharisees were always focused on people's actions, the things that they did. And then Jesus gives a contradiction teaching that shows that it's really not about your actions. It's about your heart. It's about the things that goes on inside your heart. It's about the way you think. That is truly what the gospel is wrapped up in, not necessarily the things that you do. The reason why this was good news to the people as they were listening to this, the reason why, as Jesus said, they automatically quickly grasped that it was good news is because they saw that Jesus was saying that it's about your heart, not about your mistakes. It's about your heart, not about your mistakes. The Pharisees were always concerned with appearing to be good rather than actually being good. They were always concerned with doing outward actions, outward things, giving the, uh, the appearance like they had it all together, like they were okay. But the reality is that their inside, the hearts, were, were, were corrupt and black and dark in the eyes of God. In this process of them portraying this image, they took hostage faith and they turned it into a legalistic religion. That made it difficult for people to understand just what it was really supposed to look like to follow God. And that's why I love the the post that Brian Poston had put on his blog when he said that my only concern is what the Father sees. My only concern is how God sees my heart, not just simply my actions. See, when the Pharisees were more concerned about the outward appearance and not the heart, they had forgotten about a a man named Samuel who long ago walked down the line of a bunch of fine-looking young men seeking to anoint the next king of Israel. But God said, he is not here. He is not amongst these. Instead, it is the young, scrawny David that I want to anoint as the next king of Israel. Because God, I do not look at the outward appearances. I look upon the heart. And it's because of this that regardless of all the different mistakes and trials and issues that David had throughout his life, God called David a man after my own heart. Yes, David blew it a lot. Yes, David made all kinds of mistakes. Yes, David did things he shouldn't have done. But his heart always came back to God. He was always willing to repent and admit that he made mistakes. His heart was always in the right place, even though his actions weren't always. And that is why God said he was a man after my own heart. But what does this mean for us today? How do we apply that today? If they got immediately what that meant for them, how do we take this and apply it to our own lives? You're going to make mistakes. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. You're going to blow it. You're going to sin. And you know what? That's okay. God is, God, God isn't okay with sin, but he's okay with you stumbling as you are trying to walk this, this walk with him. Get up, dust yourself off, mend your cuts and bruises, and then move forward. And as we move forward, don't focus on the things that you do. Focus on the way that you think. 
Don't focus on simply the outward actions and mistakes that you make. Focus on what's going on inside your heart. That is why Paul had penned um, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds or be transformed by the renewing of our hearts. It is not an easy walk. It is not an easy uh, uh, task that we have to, to try to live this out. And we're never going to get it perfect. And that's why Jesus was trying to get across that it's not just about your actions. It's not simply about your mistakes. It is about your heart and keeping that with me. Proclamation number three that Jesus was trying to get across in this sermon is contrary to the religious system of the day, the gospel is rooted in a personal God. The contrary to the religious system of the day, the gospel is rooted in a personal God. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 7, 12, Jesus makes a startling statement over and over and over again. This statement that he made stood in direct contradiction to the teachings of the Pharisees. What this startling statement was, was simply, your father. Jesus said, your father, and he said it in such a way that it was a new concept for the people. And it was something that the Pharisees hadn't been presenting to the people as they were trying to come and understand who God was. Jesus actually says, your father, 13 times in this one section, and he only says it twice in all of the rest of the, of the Sermon on the Mount. See, the Pharisees, the reason why this is good news is because the Pharisees had made God seem like some distant, uncaring uh, person who just put a bunch of laws and regulations on us. And yet this was good news because Jesus was saying that, no, God is a personal God. He cares about what's going on in your life. In contradiction to the Pharisees who made God seem so distant, harsh, and unconcerned, Jesus was saying that, no, God is much closer than that. Because of this, it, it, because of the way the Pharisees portrayed God, it was hard for them to understand God as loving. It was hard for them to understand God as accepting. Because of the way that the Pharisees preached it, it was hard for them to see that God actually cared about what was going on in their lives. But Jesus said, no, that's not who God is. That is not the Father in heaven. Let me give you a different picture of God. Let me give you an intimate picture of God. Let me give you a personal picture of God because He is your Father and He cares about what's going on in your life. That is why I love the quote uh, from Rachel Duvall in her blog earlier this week where she said that I can say that God has always been there for me. I can say that God has always been there for me every single time. She sees a personal relationship with God, as we all need to. And it is this idea of a personal God that Jesus was trying to get across to the people. But what does that mean for us today? If, if it was good news for them back then, how, how is it good news for us today? I know a lot of you have been abused. A lot of you have been hurt. A lot of you have had people mess over you and neglect you. People who you thought loved you were only using you. People who you thought you could trust betrayed you. People who you thought would be there abandoned you. And it's painful to think about some of these people and the things that they did to you. And as you think about these things that you've gone through, it's hard for you to picture that there's actually a God who really cared about what you were going through. It's hard to picture a God who really even paid attention 
when these people were messing over you. But I'm here to tell you, you have a heavenly father. And he does care about what's going on in your life. You have a heavenly father and he is concerned about the things that you've gone through. You have a heavenly father and he does want to heal those areas of your life. He is a personal God who personally cares because you are his personal child. It is good news for us today because we need to know that God is intimate enough to know every detail and every pain you've ever faced and know that he does want to bring healing to those areas of your life. My final point, the final proclamation that Jesus was making was contrary to the religious system of the day, the gospel is freely available through Jesus. Contrary to the religious system of the day, the gospel is freely available through Jesus. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 29, Jesus challenges them to go out and do something with these things that he had just proclaimed to them. Jesus challenged them to go out and do something with these new revelations of who God is, and he wanted them to, to have an impact on the people around them. But he adds something in addition. He says something that they did not expect and the Pharisees did not like. Jesus revealed that he is the way to the Father. Jesus hints at this throughout this section, but he says it very plainly in verses 21 through 23, because it is there that he says that I will be the way that you will be able to get to the Father. Now, the reason why this was good news for the people at the time is because the Pharisees made it seem like it was a difficult, almost impossible task to be able to be accepted by God and to be able to get into heaven. They made all these, these uh, rules, regulations, and requirements in order to be able to please God, to be able to get into heaven. And Jesus comes and says, no, it's, it's not about all that stuff. It's not about all those rules. It's not about all those regulations. It's not about all that stuff that the Pharisees have been putting on you. I have come to provide the way. I have come so that you can have everlasting life. All it is simply about is following me. And so that's why for them, as they were originally hearing this, that's why this was good news, because he removed all that weight that the Pharisees had put on him. But what does this mean for us today? How do we apply that to our lives today? No matter who you were, you don't have to make up for it before you can come to God the Father. No matter what you've done, you don't have to make up for it before you can come to God the Father. No matter where you've been, you don't have to make up for it before you can come to God the Father. No matter what the things are that you used to be, used to be involved with, you to get caught up with, no matter what the crowd you used to run with, you don't have to make up for those things before you can come God the Father. Jesus has provided a way. Jesus has covered it all. His sacrifice was complete. His love is unending. His compassion for you it has, has no ending to it. It will not cease. He will search to the ends of the world to be able to provide his love for you and his avenue to be able to come to God the Father. That is why I love the quote by Don Shilley in his blog earlier this week when he said, He knew every bad thought I had, and he went right into my heart and swept it all clean. That is what Jesus does. You don't have to clean yourself up first in order to come to the Father. Jesus wants to clean you for you. He is the one that will cleanse your heart and do a heart transplant and remove all of that, that junk from the past and make you acceptable in the eyes of the Father. 
So as we look at this Sermon on the Mount, as we look at this 111 verses, we look at all these different things that Jesus was saying, as he boil it down to, to, to the essence of the good news as he proclaimed it to the original audience, he was simply proclaiming these things as the easier way, the acceptable way, how much God loves them, how much God wanted to receive them. The good news was clear to the original audience as they were listening to them. They immediately understood the power of Jesus' words because as he was saying it, he was slowly releasing them from all of this weight that the Pharisees had put upon them. And it was very powerful for them to hear it back then, and it is very powerful for us to be able to hear it today. And it is simply those four proclamations that Jesus had made, that the gospel is for everybody. The gospel is about your heart, not your actions. The gospel is rooted in a personal God, and the gospel is freely available through Jesus. I want to challenge you this morning, as you have been listening to this message, allow the gospel to come into your heart, into those broken areas of your heart, into those painful areas of your heart, into those areas where, where you feel like, like yeah, God, God loves me, God accepts me, but he only accepts this part of me. There's still this, this other area that, that, that I still have to hide from God. God accepts all of you. God wants to heal it all. God wants to take all that, that junk away, all those things that other people have done to you, all those ways that people have hurt you. God wants to bring a complete healing to it. You never have to be ashamed to bring anything to God because he is your heavenly father, and he loves you completely for you. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Dear heavenly father, we just come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Your son who came to be the final sacrifice. Your son who came to be the bridge. Your son who came to be healing for us. It is amazing to look at these 111 verses and to see all the different teachings and, and, and ideas and concepts that Jesus was putting across. But when we boil it down to the essence of it, he was proclaiming good news. And we thank you for that. Not just simply for what it meant for the people back then, but what, for what it means for us today. The power that it still has to hear the good news. That the gospel is for all of us. And so I just ask, Lord, for those who are in this, this audience or listening by CD, if there are areas of their hearts where there is still brokenness in them, Lord, I pray that the gospel penetrates it. If there are areas of shame in their life, I pray that the gospel penetrates it. If there are areas where they feel that they are not completely accepted by you, I pray that the gospel penetrates it. Help them to see the depth of the good news of the gospel and just bring healing to them in those areas. We just pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone says, Amen.